Welcome back to Techotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Joe Bolden, CEO of Yajo. This is Technotopia. This episode of Technotopia is sponsored by CheapTranscription.io. CheapTranscription offers 10 cent per minute transcription using our happy robots or 85 cents per minute using our human assistants. CheapTranscription.io is cheaper and faster than everyone else. CheapTranscription.io. This episode of Technotopia is brought to you by Typewriter.plus. Typewriter.plus is a full service editorial agency that brings amazing editors from places like the New York Times and TechCrunch to work on your writing. Need a blog post, a white paper, a presentation? typewriter team can write or edit anything on nearly any topic visit them at typewriter.plus for a free quote that's typewriter.plus typewriter.plus welcome back to technotopia the podcast about a better future i'm john biggs today on the show we have joe bolden he's ceo of yeah joe uh joe welcome to the show you make uh, some of my favorite underwear which is a weird <laughs> thing to say to a guy we we uh, we've been making underwear for quite some time now, mm-hmm. and we designed it originally for tech guys, and that sounds a little ominous. But uh, what we you know tech guys need casual everyday boxer briefs that they can wear that are comfortable. They travel a lot, so they have to be fast drying. Mm-hmm. They have to. Um, look good look good feel good and they have to have support superior support if they're working out or something like that so we kind of call ours a hybrid boxer brief for men because it's a kind of a three-way deal okay so tell me a little bit about your uh your history in, in clothing clothing is we've talked to some clothing folks uh before on this on the show but it's a uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting space because nobody really understands it right Nobody, uh, you know, clothing is kind of an unusual uh, occupation. My degree is from the University of Washington in psychology. Okay. And uh, when when I graduated, one of my college roommates was going to law school in San Francisco at UC Hastings. And he said, what, do you, what are you doing after you graduate? And I said, well, nothing. He said, why don't you come down here? We have an extra bedroom and so another one of my friends said hey i can get you uh an interview at the emporium capwell which is now a bloomingdale's on market street Mm -hmm. and i said okay great and i went down and he said hey they're going to ask you why you want to be in retail and i I, what are you going to say and i'd never been in retail a day in my life and i (laughs) called i don't know i need a job and he goes no no this is what you say says, I want to be in retail because it's fast-paced, it's ever-changing, it's a people business, and I'm a people person. And I'm going, oh, my God, I better write all that down. So I go back to my room, and I practice, and I practice. I don't want to screw this up. So I, on the day of my interview, I put on my new three-piece suit that I got for graduation, my new shirt, my new tie, my new socks, my new shoes. And I go to the interview, and the interview is with a, a really nice guy, and it was pretty low ball. And I, I'm, I'm sitting there, and finally he goes, why do you want to be in retail? And I just light up. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. And I go, I want to be in retail because it's fast-paced. It's ever-changing. It's a people business, and I'm a people person. And he goes, wow, wh- when can you start? <laughs> and he thought it was 
really excited about retail, and I was really excited that he asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> and and that kind of taught me a lesson uh, that people want to be around people who are excited to be in a profession. Sure. And when they're enthusiastic about it, sometimes that goes a long ways towards getting a job versus, you know, just being technically proficient in something. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I worked at the Emporium Capwell for about a year, and then I came up to Seattle and interviewed with a department store called the Bon Marche, which was later purchased by um, Macy's. And I ended up being a young men's buyer, which is young men would be anywhere from 16 to 25 year olds. And it's the fashion department. And I, you know, here I was 26 years old. I'm going to New York. I'm going on trips to Europe. I go to Asia and uh, I'm, I'm thinking, wow, you know, I'm making too much money. I want to get on the other side. I wanted to start selling goods to stores. Mm -hmm. And I work for a, a young man's wholesale company for six years as their VP of merchandising and then got the great idea to start my own business, which, you know, it sounds good at the time that you you don't really realize just how difficult it is. And I think most businesses fail, not because people don't have good ideas, but they just get tired of hitting their head against the wall. Hmm. Anyway, uh, we started a company called Ex Officio, and we ended up making oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. adventure travel apparel. And <clears throat> that business started because we uh, we were making shirts, and uh, we went to a show called Magic, which is the largest men's show in the world, and, and now in Las Vegas. And somebody came in, you know, one of the buyers came in and said, you know, this is, this is a nice line of shirts, but I've got like five companies making something similar. Who would I throw out to put yours in? You're Mm -hmm. untested. And I go, God, that means there really has to be a reason for being there. You really have to have some kind of a reason that's not you're where you're different than everybody else. And I say to my business partner, we're screwed. (laughs) <laughs> and we got back to Seattle and uh we're we're out of Seattle and one of my one of my friends a little late, later on sent this guy over who was a former fly fishing buyer for Eddie Bauer mm-hmm. and he wanted us to knock off a fly fishing shirt and he brings in this this horrible shirt and I go is this the best fly fishing has to offer maybe we can do better of course I know nothing about fly fishing. My business partner had been once before, but he's a terrific designer. And we researched the market and came up and realized that, you know, people who are fly fishing, they're in water all the time. So you needed something that was fat, really quick drying and comfortable with ventilation and you know, you could start out in the morning where it was a little cool and then you could roll up the sleeves and things like that. Mm-hmm. So we were the first company to make full fashion uh, bottoms and tops that were ventilated and in our pants, you know, until that time, the only, the only nylon that was used were in sweats for 
you know, sports and for swimming suits. So we made full fashion pants and then we made zip off legs so you could convert it into shorts mm-hmm. and and that and quick drying and the whole thing. And so we were doing that. Then we realized that that market of fly fishing was really small. But what was great about it is it was a real high-end market, and we made really high-end product. And after that, you know, we were at one of our trade shows, and uh, a former L.L. Bean buyer came in, and he is, and another guy was starting a, a catalog called Travel Smith. And after they left, I said, you know, to my business partner, our product's perfect for adventure travel. And nobody is doing adventure travel right now in apparel. And the only adventure travel product I knew of was a bag company called Eagle Creek that made high-end bags. Sure. So I said, why don't we start exclusively marketing for this? And he said, I was thinking the same thing. So we were together on that. And we went in and started uh, marketing. We were already in REI. Uh, it was one of our biggest customers. And we said, hey, we're going to be marketing as adventure travel. And they go, well, what's adventure travel? <laughs> and we're going like, well, people, when they go on a trip and they go on a, an adventure, they come here and buy stuff. So why don't we market it as such? And they were kind of confused. And, and that was OK. But within a year. North Face was selling adventure travel. Columbia was selling adventure travel. All the major brands had seen what we were doing and hopped on the idea, which was great for us because we um, we wanted to do that business. And the more it, you know, the more people in it, the better it was to make it legitimate. So after another four or five years, our business was so good, and we ended up selling our company. And, and after that, I, uh, I retired and then went to, um, I, I, cause my degree was in psychology and I had a, uh, relationship at the university of Washington. Um, I, I, uh, asked the chair of the psych department if she thought it wouldn't be a good idea if I taught a class on workplace politics. Mm-hmm. And I ended up teaching a psych class on workplace politics for 10 years. And then I just got this itch. You know, once you make product. Sure. Yeah. You yeah. Know, you don't want to, you don't want to sit, sit, you sit make still. Product. And, and Seattle is, a, I mean, you, Seattle's a tech center, just like New York or just like the Bay area. And I'd see a lot of tech guys walking around. And, and no offense, weren't always the greatest dressed. I mean, because they want, I go, well, what, what, what do they want? And I'm going, they want comfort. They want easy care. They want something they can use multiple times. And I thought, well, maybe I can offer them something a little bit different. And so the, the real, we, we tried some sportswear things, but um, they really weren't willing to uh, pay too much out of the gate, and uh, and but our our boxer briefs were really great. I mean, they did well, and that's how come we still have some tops that we sell. The boxer briefs is where we want to 
really concentrate on. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So, so the so I remember you had some jeans and you had some shirts and some other things, but now you focused on the on the uh, on the underwear or the boxer briefs, I guess you would call it. Tell me a little right, about. Right, and we might. Yeah, go ahead. We might go back into the pants. We sold out of those, and we might go back into that. But right now, we're really concentrating on our boxer brief because that's where we think that we have a unique product and a real reason for being there. Because too many guys have one pair of underwear or one pair of boxer briefs mm-hmm. to work out in, another pair for travel, another. This works for everything. Not only that is. Um, this our our boxer briefs last a long time. They don't wear out really very quickly, and they keep their shape, uh, and they're incredibly comfortable, and all, all those characteristics. Okay, so tell me tell me about how things have changed over the uh, over the last few years. I mean, you you started ex officio, you did that for a little while, but I mean, you came into a you probably came into a environment that was. Uh, is constantly changing. I mean, it's not, it doesn't seem like it on the, on the surface because it's basically the, it's a pair of underwear over and over again. Uh, but the materials have changed. The manufacturing has changed. Even the politics around it have changed, right? Oh, absolutely. There's there. And if you go onto any site, there's hundreds of underwear companies out there mm-hmm. and you know, just making underwears is one underwear is one thing, but when you're designing and design always good, really good design always starts with fabric, pure and simple. And there, and a lot of people think, well, you know, I want to make this neat shirt or I want to make this pant and they design it out. They don't even think about fabric, but everything has to start with great fabric. Mm-hmm. And so we make our fabric is called Luxair. And we knit our fabric on a German tarot circular knitting machine. And we use a combination of a super soft extruded nylon from BASF in Germany. And we use a DuPont Lycra spandex. So it's 94% nylon, 6% Lycra. And the Lycra gives it that really soft quality to it. Mm-hmm. And it also is it's stretchable. So it's, it is a very, very forgiving fabric and it just stays right with your body. And we knit it in, in a single jacquard jersey knit that's lightweight, it's quick drying, it's anti-pilling, anti-snagging, and it's really durable. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it so good. Not only that, that we put a anti-pilling and snagging finish on it. And we also treat it with a product called Silvador. And Silvador is an environmentally safe anti-odor additive that lasts the entire life of the, of the garment. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. So the, so what does it take to manufacture clothing right now? You guys are manufacturing where? In, uh, in Asia? Or are you manufacturing India? Or what's the, how does it work? We manufacture in China. Okay, <laughs> and that's a little bit of a challenge now because of, uh, sure. of tariffs, and uh, that's another thing that I think people don't always understand is how tariffs work. And the reason there are tariffs, or what we call duties, in the industry, um, 
And it's really a tax on the product that's coming in. And it was original, originally made to protect industries in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so like silk, there's very little duty on it because there's no silk industry in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, cotton, there's uh, like on underwear and every, every single item is different. Uh, cotton underwear, the duty is around uh, seven and a quarter percent and uh, nylon, which we have predominantly nylon, is 14.5%. Hmm. Yet, if you had a nylon shirt or a nylon top, predominantly nylon, the duty on that is 31%, and a cotton shirt would be around 22%. Hmm. And, and if you take, say, uh, you know, what's happening right now in the industry, and you add on another 15% or 25% duty on top of that. So it, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the politicians are saying, "Oh, we're going to have a duty of 25%." No, that's not <laughs> what they're doing. They're adding that on top. So it effectively almost it can, in certain instances, double the price of an item, and which is really tough for the consumer because you have to pass that price along to them because there's not enough margin in the product. Okay. What is the, um, how has the internet changed the way you sell? I mean, I'm sure I remember ex officio was in stores, right? For a long time. Yeah. How has the internet so changed ex that? Ex officio was in stores and that's usually how you used to sell. Um, and that was pre internet when we started in 1987 and we we went to selling on the internet and we did that fairly effectively and now it's a big part of ex officio's business and they're owned by uh, uh newell uh rubbermaid which is i don't know 20 or 30 billion dollar company mm -hmm. and what <clears throat> what i did with yeah, Joe is exclusively in selling it online at yeahjoe.com. And the reason is, is that if you have to pay uh, for trade shows and you have to pay for uh, huge marketing, if you have to pay for, you know, large commissions to employees and that like that, then it it adds to the price. So a comparable pair of underwear or a box of briefs that we sell um, would be like $30 or, or more on. <clears throat> and the way we do it is uh, we're at about $24. Mm -hmm. And if you get a two pack, it'd be uh, 22 each. So that's, that's the, uh, the difference I think is that we can keep our prices down and a better thing and offer a superior quality product. Okay. And almost everybody is going to uh, the internet. You have to have some sort of online presence. And there are a lot of companies that sell only online. The only problem with being online is creating visibility. Whereas when you're in a, a store, a department store, an outdoor store, wherever you're selling, you have instant instability. Uh, visibility that way. How do you uh, how do you fix visibility? Well, visibility—that's the thing that's uh, about online—is 
how you got visibility five years ago is radically different than how you get visibility today. And five years ago, you could buy ads on Facebook and they'd be great and they'd mm-hmm. pull. And then two years ago, you're buying the same ads on Facebook and they're not pulling at all because there's so much junk out there that that really clouds the marketplace. And people are becoming, they see so many ads, they're completely bombarded by them constantly. And they just disregard the ads. So you really have to be out there and talk to people in a way like, like I'm talking to you on this podcast, but you can explain your product and, and let, let your potential customers know what exactly you're doing. That's a little bit different than everybody else that gives them a far superior product for the price. Okay. Very cool. What's next for the uh, what's next for the company? I remember you uh, you had a uh, you had code written on some of the underwear there. That was uh, do you have any uh are you guys going to be doing <laughs> doing any doing any uh, web web enabled uh, web enabled drawers by with our, our customers which sure. is kind of fun to do and we we want our product to be fun. We want our product to be uh, uh we want our product to be relatable to our our customers and the name yeah joe isn't definitely is not named mm-hmm. after me it's named after the everyday guy who wants a great product and yeah that's me uh and that's what our motto is and we want people to relate to the product and honestly the way i came up with that name is i tried hundreds of names and the url were taken i think to myself yeah joe what what are we going to do next? And I go, well, I'll try. Yeah, Joe. And I got it. So I kept it. And it actually is turning out to be a, a really good name. <laughs> and the name of a company is only important if you make great product. If you don't make great product, it's a dumb name. If you make great product, it's a great name. If mm-hmm. you think of Google, you go, wow, Google's a great name because they have a great product. But if you just take Google by itself, Google, you go, what the hell is that? Mm-hmm. So it's all about the product, and that's what's important in the name, I think. Hmm. Okay. So it's uh, so it's even though even though we're we're way past and we're in the land of the future, we're still thinking really hard about branding and and names and all that other good stuff. You, you have to. Mm-hmm. It's really, I mean, it's really important that people identify with your product because they want to know. And they want to be proud of what they're wearing and they want to be proud that they that they've made a good purchase and that's not something that they're wasting their money on. And I don't care how much money you have. You want to have value mm-hmm. in what you're doing, I think. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. Very the cool. The future is really hard to tell on what's going to be happening. There's no question about the fact that the Internet is going to be a major part of how people buy things. Um, but it's interesting. You see now where even Amazon is starting to get back more into retail. And it's, it's kind of funny that they've certainly kind of come full circle. They're smaller bookstores. They're open. They've been successful. And the nice thing about being in Seattle, you see all these little things where they test and what's important. Mm-hmm. And so um, they they started a top uh, forty, you know, or top four star uh, 
little retail store. So they have at retail in the in the brick and mortar store from Amazon their top four star and above items that are in there. And then they have the little convenience store called Amazon Go where people can go in and you you know you have an app, you just walk in. You have your credit card in it. You scan when you go in and you just pick things off the shelf and that and you walk out. You don't talk to anybody. You don't do anything. And you're and it's really amazing how accurate it is. And now they have a brand new store that's not open yet on Capitol Hill in Seattle that's supposed to open in the next few months. That is more of a full grocery store. And it's. I think it's going to be on the same vein as, vein as the Amazon Go, but with all kinds of groceries. And of course, they also own um, Whole Foods, which is another thing that they've been doing, which is pretty interesting. So that's all brick and mortar. So it's it's pretty amazing how the world is going right now with the combination of brick and mortar and the internet. And I don't think it's going to be any one thing, but it will be a good combination of what's happening. I wish I could see into the future. Mm. Uh, (laughs) If you you could see in the future, you'd see what, that we were all wearing, uh, yeah, Joe spacesuits as we fly to, uh, as we fly to Mars, right? Yeah, that's next. <laughs> All right, where can people, and why not? Yeah, where can people check out the product? They can check out the product at yajo.com. That's Y-A-J-O-E.com. And uh, go from there. All right, sounds great. Uh, thank you, Joe, for joining us. Uh, I'm John Biggs. This has been Technotopia. We will see you next week. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp. is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the Internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp. is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp. loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com. 